You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Townhall.com posted a story shortly after the Super Bowl on February the 7th titled, Tony Dungy Criticized for Commending Eagles Quarterback on His Faith. The NFL Hall of Fame player, Tony Dungy, and former NFL head coach came under fire for crediting Eagles quarterback Nick Foles' faith for his big Super Bowl win. Now, Foles himself said, and I quote, all glory to God after winning the Super Bowl. And it was, it was uh, Tony Dungy who drew more attention than Foles himself was even able to acknowledge. See, as an NBC analyst and a strong Christian himself, Tony Dungy said on air that it was Foles' faith in God that, and I quote, would allow him to play with confidence, unquote. Viewers took issue with Dungy using his NBC platform to spout what Town Hall described as, and I quote again, nonsense. Sports reporter Kyle Costner actually took it even a step further when he devoted an entire article titled, Is Tony Analyzing or Evangelizing When It Comes to Nick Foles? The article's criticized Tony Dungy's public applause for Nick Foles' Christian faith, and then urged NBC and the public to berate Dungy should this type of thing ever happen again. I find this almost mind-blowing. Not because I'm a Christian, though I do find it a little bit offensive, I find it mind-blowing because we live at a time when tolerance is demanded for every single facet of the life in which we live, except Christianity. Christians are regularly criticized, and no one seems to have a problem with that. I'm not here to tell you that I have a problem with it. I'm here to tell you it's a reality of the world that we live in. Every Christian who lives a godly life experiences a certain amount of pushback or criticism, sometimes even persecution. It may be on the job, it may be at school, it may be in the neighborhood. Hey, it may even be in your own family. There are people who resist the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they oppose these things. And no matter what a Christian says or does, there will be some people somewhere who will criticize them for that. Peter dealt with this kind of normal persecution earlier in this letter. We talked about it several weeks ago. But in this section, Peter explains about a special kind of persecution. What he he calls a fiery ordeal. Or some of you may have an older translation. It says, fiery trial. If you have your Bible and you want to turn to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, we're going to start with verse 12. This idea of a fiery trial, this would not be the occasional personal persecution from those around them. This would be an official, kind of coordinated, organized persecution that in Peter's day came straight down from the rulers of that day, the the government in charge. Up to this point, Christianity had been tolerated as 
uh, by the Roman government considered as a sect or a subset of the Jewish faith. And Jews were permitted to worship freely, so Christians were as well. But that attitude would change. And the fires of persecution would be ignited. The Roman, Roman emperor Nero got it all started. But the emperors that followed him, they would continue to persecute the church. Peter sent this letter to Christians who were on the cusp of facing this. Because the persecutions that we're talking about, they were starting about the same time that Peter sent this letter. Peter's letter was written to strengthen the church on a number of different levels. But the crux of Peter's message in the text we're going to look at this morning could be summarized this way. Be ready for the heat. Be ready for the heat. Because it's coming. It's coming. Peter gave his readers some instructions to follow in order to prepare for this fiery ordeal. And I want to share four instructions that he gives us this morning. The first one is simply this, expect the heat. Expect the heat. Growing up in Iowa, I got interested in wrestling at a very young age. I'm not talking about the wrestling that we see at WWE and that kind of, I'm talking about actual high school wrestling. I started in the third grade and they would roll out these mats and we'd go out and we'd wrestle against people about 40 pounds, you know, and uh, as I got older, I wrestled all the way through my sophomore year in high school. And our high school was really blessed. It was a brand new school when I started there, and I appreciated them building it for me. Um, But we actually had an actual wrestling room. Most schools didn't have that. They would roll out mats in their in their gymnasium or in their uh, in their cafeteria, and that's where they were practiced. But we had an actual wrestling room. This was a room that had mats from one wall to the other. It was completely covered with our wrestling mats. And the other thing about this room is that when you went in there, it was hot all the time. The heat helped us to lose weight, which was a big deal in wrestling. And it also helped to condition us to face adversity. Because if you keep your cool when it's that hot, you can keep your cool just about anywhere. And no one was ever surprised when they would walk into the wrestling room and find that it was hot in there. Nobody ever said, gee whiz, it's hot in here. You just knew it was going to be hot. And that's what Peter is saying here. If you look at verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he's talking about it's going to be hot. Listen to what he says. Dear friends, dear friends, which is kind of his way of introducing another topic. Dear friends, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Persecution actually is not something that was or is foreign to the Christian life. Throughout history, the people of God have suffered at the hands of the unbelieving world. Christians, though, are different, or at least they're supposed to be from non-believers. And this kind of life that's different produces a different kind of lifestyle. No one personified this difference on a grander scale or a grander stage, this Christian life that's different more than Reverend Billy Graham, who uh, passed away after 99 years on this earth this week. 
He was revered by presidents and world leaders for decades and decades. He was respected by most Americans, and he was a hero to Christians around the world. And with wisdom and grace, he gave hope and guidance to generations of Christians. Billy Graham wasn't perfect, but he was a tremendous example of what a life could accomplish when a person followed Jesus He consistently lived this Christian life. He was a great example of how to live different from this world. The Pharisees and the Jewish leaders were those people who, they were in positions to be recognized for their faith. They were religious people. But recognize the simple reality as a Christian These were the people who crucified Jesus. They may look a certain way, but their behavior was a different lifestyle. And they were the first ones to persecute the early church, even before the Roman government unleashed their wrath on Christianity. Jesus warned his disciples about the Jewish leaders. In Matthew, the 10th chapter, he says this in verse 17. He says, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local council. He's talking about the religious, the Jewish leadership. And be flogged in the synagogues. Imagine flogging the servants of God in the very house of God. You see, God declared war on Satan after the fall of man. And from then on, it was on. Satan began attacking God through his people ever since that declaration of war. Christians are called strangers and pilgrims. That's what Peter calls us in a foreign land. And what you need to know is that Satan is the prince of that land. He's the prince of this world. And whatever glorifies God is going to anger Satan. And it will cause him to attack. If you are doing great things for the kingdom of God, you should not be surprised when the enemy hits you hard. Actually, the absence of of Satan's opposition should be strange to you. If you're not facing any kind of pushback, you may want to check how closely you are walking with the Lord. When you're advancing God's kingdom, you're always going to face opposition and maybe even some persecution. Jesus explained to his disciples that they should expect this opposition. You should expect it. It's going to come from the world. You should not be surprised when it happens. You should expect it. You're going to walk into that wrestling room. It's going to be hot. It's always going to be hot. And you know what? You should expect the heat in this life as well. Not always necessarily, but you recognize. You recognize that it will be hot. Jesus also gave them an encouraging promise, though. It's a great thing about Jesus. He doesn't just throw us out there and go, good luck. He says, you're going to have to face all this, but remember this one thing. Look at what he said in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. He predicts it. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And we're with him. It's important to note also that not all of the fiery trials, the difficulties in life, not all of these things are 
spiritual battles, right? Some difficulties are simply part of being human. And almost everybody has to experience them. The fiery ordeal comes because you are faithful to God. And you're standing up for the things of God. You're doing what is right. And you're going to face opposition as a result of that. Jesus said in John 15, 20 and 21, Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus told his disciples that people would persecute them just like they persecuted him because these people don't know God. So we should expect there to be heat. First instruction from Jesus or from Peter. The second instruction Peter gave is to prepare for the heat is to rejoice when the fiery ordeal happens. This is countercultural. Rejoice. Hey, the heat is on, right? You can almost hear the music in the background, right? The heat is on, and he says, you should, you should rejoice in that. Let's read what he, what he means by it. He says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory... And of God rests on you. Literally, Peter wrote, be constantly rejoicing. When you face the heat, when you find yourself in the midst of a fiery trial, a fiery ordeal, he says, be constantly rejoicing. In fact, in these two verses, he mentions joy in one form or another four different times. In fact, in one word, he says it twice, if you look at the Greek. He's He's so redundant when he says rejoice because he wants us to recognize the reality that in the midst of the trial, we should be rejoicing. And the reason he does that is he says we have several privileges that we have as a a follower of Jesus. And he pulls these out in this text. The first thing he says is our suffering means that we have partnership with Jesus. If you're connected with him, you are on the winning team. It may be hard right now, but you are on the winning team. The second privilege that he, get, tell, that he points out here is our suffering means glory in the future. You know, mature people know that life often includes postponed pleasure. Have you ever put something off, you know, didn't take a vacation so you could buy a new car? You get it. We pay a price today in order to have enjoyments in the future. Peter Peter repeatedly urges his readers to endure the present suffering in view of the hope that you have for eternal life. The third privilege he points out is our suffering reveals the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Suffering, opposition, persecution, when the heat is on... It gives us opportunity to see the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And the fourth privilege he points out is our suffering equips us to glorify God. Pastor Richard Wormbrand was imprisoned and tortured for his faith during the communist takeover of Romania during World War II. 
while in captivity, an, interro- an arrogant interrogator sought to intimidate Wormbrand by thrusting a gun to his temple and then yelling, don't you know I have the power to take your life? Richard Wormbrand calmly replied, sir, put your, heart, your hand over my heart. If it beats rapidly, you know I am afraid. But if my heart beats normally, you can know that God lives, and I do not fear what a mere man can do to me. In moments like this, it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that a person is equipped to say something like that. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to glorify God in moments when the heat is on. And as a result, you and I, we can rejoice when we find ourselves in the midst of a fiery ordeal. Well, there's a third instruction that Peter gave to prepare his readers and prepare us for when the heat is on. And this one is simply scrutinize your situation. Scrutinize your situation. When the heat of persecution and suffering is on, when you're challenged, when you're criticized, when people are pushing back against you, we often have a more clear perspective in order to examine our lives. Have you noticed that? All of the stuff that's not all that important kind of gets pushed aside or maybe it's burned up. The fiery ordeal becomes a refining process. It's a time of testing of our faith by which God removes the impurities that are in us. This truth should motivate us to walk as as much in the example of Jesus, obedient to his direction that we can possibly walk. Difficult times call for reflection. So when that happens, slow down if it's possible and take some time to pray. Seek God's word for wise counsel. Write out your thoughts. Clarify what you feel you're experiencing and process these things with a trusted confidant, another brother or sister in Christ. Whenever I've taken time to scrutinize my situation, I'm almost always making better decisions and almost always I grow as a result of it. When the heat is on, you should ask yourself some specific questions. The first one is, why am I suffering? I like what Peter does here. He points out some reasons why people suffer. Look look what he says in verse 15. He says, uh, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, okay, that's a good one, or a thief, or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. Maybe you're not, you haven't committed a felony, but you're a meddler, okay? You should not suffer. When people get mad, people get mad at meddlers, don't they? Why don't you mind your own business, right? If you're suffering as a result of any of these reasons, you're suffering for the wrong reasons, If a Christian gets into trouble, they should ask the question, why am I suffering? Is it due to the sin in my life? If this is a consequence to sin, then we should not be surprised. You see, if a Christian gets into trouble, he or she should suffer the penalties. The fact that we're Christians is not a guarantee that we're going to escape the normal consequences that come as a result of our mistakes. In fact, if you read Scripture, you find that Abraham and David, some of the great men of faith, even Peter and other biblical leaders disobeyed God, and they suffered the consequences for that. 
So who are we that we think we should escape the consequences for our mistakes? There's a second question that comes out of the text, and that is, am I ashamed or praising Jesus? Am I ashamed of Jesus or am I praising Jesus? Look what he says in verse 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Praise God that you bear that name. This statement probably was one that took Peter back to the night that he denied Jesus. See, this is, he had, a, he had a PhD in this whole shame and fear thing. Reasons why you would deny Jesus was his thesis. Not a great night for Peter that night. He knew and understood at a deep level what it meant to have shame. The writer of Hebrews gives us a great perspective, though, when it comes to not being ashamed. Look at verse 2 in chapter 12, what it says. It says, we must focus on Jesus. That is never a bad thing, you know? We must focus on Jesus, the source and the goal of our faith. He saw the joy ahead of him, so he endured death on the cross and ignored the disgrace. Some people call that shame that it brought him. He ignored it. He was without a stitch of clothing, being executed in front of all of Jerusalem, and that's shame. That's being embarrassed, and he ignored all of that for us. On the cross, Jesus endured death, and he ignored the shame of the cross for you and me. So surely we can bear a little bit of criticism, or maybe a whole lot of criticism, or maybe even death for him, and not be ashamed. And one last thought. I want you to consider the warning Jesus gave with regard to being ashamed of him. Listen to what he says in Mark 8, 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Where are you going to fall? Where are you going to land? If we seek to glorify God, then we'll not be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of him. There's a third question that we should ask as we examine our lives, and that is, am I looking for opportunities to tell others about Jesus? In verses 17 and 18, we read this, for it is time for judgment to begin with, the, with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The argument that Peter is having with himself in this text is, is crystal clear. If God sends a fiery ordeal to his own people, to his own house, and as he says, it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will happen to the sinners when God's judgment comes for them? They don't have a chance. They don't have a chance. See, instead of being concerned about ourselves, even in the midst of persecution and criticism, we must be concerned about those around us who need Jesus. They, don't, they may not even know the desperation that they have for the need that they have. There's a key point 
I think that when times of persecution, times of persecution are often opportunities to be a witness to those who persecute us. Now I know some of you are going, I don't want a witness to them, (laughs) okay? I'm calling and I'm asking, consider this is a great time to show them the love of God. In Acts, the 16th chapter, we read the story about a pagan jailer who converts to Christianity. We don't know his name. He's just simply known as the Philippian jailer. An earthquake hits in the middle of the night, and he wakes up to find that the doors of the jail that he is entrusted to secure have all popped open. And he, and he expects that all of the prisoners have escaped. And it's not the earthquake that brought the jailer to faith in Jesus. In fact, he was so freaked out by the quake that he almost committed suicide. Actually, it was the love and concern of Paul and Silas who were in that jail that brought the jailer to faith in Jesus. In fact, he and his entire family were baptized in the middle of the night. As Christians, we shouldn't seek to get revenge on those who hurt us. Instead, we should pray for them and look for opportunities to lead them into a relationship with Jesus. Well, there's a fourth instruction, the final one that Peter gives us in this text to prepare for the heat that will come, and that is this. Go all in with God. Just push it all into the center. It's all in with him. I'm going to ride this horse. This is my guy. This is, the, this is the team I'm betting on, if we use that all-in analogy. Listen to what he says in verse 19. He says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. When we are suffering, when we are persecuted for the will of God, we can commit ourselves into the care of God. That's what Peter says here. So go all in. Put your complete faith and trust and hope in him. The word that he uses here in the Greek, commit, the, the Greek word is actually a banking term. It's one that they would use to, to, in, that, in that vernacular. And it, it means to deposit for safekeeping. The idea here is when you entrust your life into God's care, you are guaranteed these eternal returns on your investment. This picture reminds me just how incredibly valuable you and I are to God. He made us. He saved us. He lives in us. He guards us. He protects us. When you deposit your life with God, you have nothing to fear because he is able to keep you safe. Now this commitment that Peter's talking about This commitment to Jesus is not a single action, but it's a continuous attitude. The idea here is to be constantly committing yourself to him. How do you do this? Well, Peter says one way you can do this is by continuing to do good. As we return good to those who do evil to us, even though we suffer because of it, we're committing ourselves to God so that he will care for us. If we truly have hope, and we believe that Jesus is coming again, then we'll obey God's word. 
and we'll start laying up treasures in heaven. Those who don't have Jesus are people who have a present that is being controlled by their past. But Christians, we have a present that is controlled by our future. When we continue to do good, we're committing ourselves to God, and we are making investments in that future. So go all in and live for him, no matter, no matter how hot it gets. So Peter says God's going to pour out his wrath upon the evil world. But a fiery trial will come to the church first in order to unite the church and to purify the church so that we might be strong and we might witness to those who desperately need a relationship with Jesus. There's nothing that you and I need to fear if we suffer because of Jesus. Nothing. In fact, I love how Paul kind of summarizes this in Philippians 1.21. He says, For to me, to live, is to, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. One way or another, God will see us through. And he will. He will. So prepare. Prepare for the heat. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for this letter that Peter sent, not just to prepare the people in Northern Asia Minor, but to prepare us for challenges that may still be out there. You know what is coming our way. You see the whole parade of our life, the entire thing. We, we experience it one float at a time, but you see the entire parade. You know what's coming, and you know we need to hear this. And so, God, I thank you for these words, and may we take these instructions to heart. Thank you for preparing us for the heat that will come. I pray, God, you'll help us to trust this teaching when that heat is turned up in our lives. Lord, I want to pray specifically this morning for that person who's here who's not part of your family yet. We know that one day they're going to face heat too. If that's you, you need to know that you're going to have to answer for your sins one day. Just like all of us. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He came to forgive the sins of mankind, and that includes you. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad it is, or how embarrassed or ashamed you are of it, God says he'll forgive you. But you have to receive his grace. You have to accept his forgiveness. I remember that time in my life when this was an issue for me, when I was wrestling with these things. There's probably a debate going on in your mind if I remember this. There's one voice saying, accept Jesus. And there's another voice saying, ignore this stuff. It's a waste of your time. Please don't ignore it. Listen to the voice of the Spirit of God saying, accept Jesus, accept Jesus. I hope you'll do that today. Thank you, God, for the, being a God of second chances. Prepare us, God, for the challenges ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you uh, want to talk to somebody about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to be down here. I'd love to talk to you, whether it's 
over the course of the next few moments of the service or after the service, whatever the case is, I'll be there. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you if you have a need. Let's stand together and let's celebrate our Lord.